0: And welcome to episode 88 of the Wrestling Podcast with me, Liam. No, I'm Gareth. Liam isn't here right now. He is under the weather, so it's just me riding solo on the introduction. This week on the pod, we are joined by the lovely Rachel and Alicia from the Kickout 299 podcast. If you haven't listened to them before, I think you're going to absolutely love them. They are charming and they really know their shit. I loved getting their perspective on Cyberfight Festival 2022, which is what we are ostensibly talking about on this episode. But we get into all kinds of other stuff as well. It's absolutely fascinating discussion. You know, really, we don't even begin to really scratch the surface of this show. There's just so much coming out of it to talk about. So we go pretty long on this one and could have gone twice as long easily. So I'm not going to keep you any longer. Let's talk Cyberfight Festival 2022. And we're now joined by the lovely Rachel and Alicia from the Kickout 299 pod. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hey! Hey, Thanks for having you.
2: This one's been a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, ostensibly, we've got... uh, rachel and alicia here to chat all things cyberfight festival 2022 but before we get into that we want to get to get to know you guys a little bit better and let our listeners get to know you a little bit because we think if you listen to this podcast uh, we've just been discussing off air kick out 299 really does feel like our sort of sister podcast so yeah we'd love for you to get to know them a little bit better um so first off one of you Take the lead and introduce yourselves.
3: Right. So I'm Alicia and um, we've been doing Kickout now since December. So still a relatively new podcast, but... We mostly do um, deep dives into different people and different topics in Purra Zoo. Uh, we also have a sub show, so to speak, called Talking Triple Crown that just focuses on all Japan pro wrestling. It's a monthly show that we do with Jesse from Royal Road 72 on
1: Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a little intro to, to kick out. Um, Rachel, if you want to add something. No, I think that, that summed it up. That said it really well. We just want to focus on different corners of Purra and talk about what interests us, what lights us on fire. We get a lot of guests in who uh, talk about what they are interested in mm-hmm. and what lights them on fire. And uh, that's really, I think, the core of Kickout yep. as a project is passion, um, passion for wrestling and the good and the bad. We want to take it. We want to cover it. And uh, yeah. And then, of course, Talking Triple Crown is just a joy. uh, All Japan is on fire right now. I know we're talking cyber fight, but All Japan (laughs) is on fire right now. So definitely check out Talking Triple Crown. If you are interested in getting into All Japan, uh, Jesse does an amazing job summing it all up. Mm. And we have a lot of fun talking about it.
0: It's really just for me, it's just a great way of doing your background reading on so much of Japanese wrestling Mm. like the I Am Noah episode and you know (laughs) even the more modern stuff but like if you haven't like strung it all together the the Kenta and his run at the US title was just really illuminating as well just two examples off the top of my head that I think do a really good job of kind of shining a light on things that you know if you haven't been a wrestling fan for 20 plus years and been following these promotions since day one it's great way to get to know your wrestling history
2: yeah 100 i mean i don't want to start an argument here but before i listened to your podcast i wasn't all that enamored with Kent's post wwe stuff at all and listening to that really made me go want to go back and look at it again and see it in a different light so, mm. so it's the best compliment i could give you probably because I, I was like, kent or whatever but actually it's you framed it in such a way that I can kind of see the magic now. I'm more excited about him. So yeah. How long have you guys been following wrestling? When did you guys both get involved? Uh,
3: for me, I started following, well, I started following wrestling, I like, as a kid, but it was super casual. I would just go to WWE shows with like my dad and my brother. Uh, my brother grew out of it. So I grew out of it. And then I was uh, alone in a Nebraska hotel room for work <laughs> for a couple of weeks. I had nothing to do. I turned on my, tv and I was watching who I didn't know his name at the time but it was Seth Rollins cutting a promo on John Cena this was in some must have been sometime in like 2014 ish and I thought that he sounded a lot like Edge and I remembered Edge cutting promos on John Cena when I was a kid so I was really interested and I had a million questions about wrestling which led me to discovering that there was more wrestling in the world than WWE And I quickly found things like Ring of Honor and Chikara, which were happening in my um, right around my hometown. I'm from South Jersey. And all that stuff is happening pretty much right around Philly. And then found people like Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi and Katsuyori Shibata. And I'd never seen any of these people before. And they looked amazing. So That led to me finding um, New Japan, getting a world account, discovering all this stuff kind of on Twitter. Um, Watched this match between uh Naomichi Marafuji and Shinsuke Nakamura from King of Pro Wrestling 2013 and <laughs> fell in love with Marufuji immediately which started my <laughs> obsession with Noah and all Japan so it's really been since like 2014 that I found Pro and
1: then have just never stopped being such a fan of this medium
0: how about you Rachel
1: I'm gonna make her cover that Marufuji uh, Nakamura match sometime during an episode. Do it. <laughs> I want to hear all about it. I really do.
0: I'm surprised you didn't make the cut on your favorite matches, Epi did. <laughs>
1: <It> <laughs> I almost it did. It almost did,
3: but... Because I just talked about Naito in that, you know, in our episode before on mm-hmm. New Japan Factions, I was very much in a Naito mood. So I had to cover <laughs> Naito and Okada.
2: Just as a quick aside, podcaster to podcaster, you realize once you've committed to doing any form of list that you put yourself in a really difficult position, right? You know, like, oh my gosh, there's so much to consider. What if I miss something out? It's a, it's a nightmare. I don't know if you listened to our, our one of our lists last year, our, our happy list, but I ended up giving. I couldn't settle on one particular wrestler, so we just did a whole promotion because yeah. let's <laughs> yeah. just I stay. I love behind. that
3: episode that you guys did last year. That was like one of my favorites. Yeah.
1: After the episode, we sat down and made our own happy uh, list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We did.
2: Who is the top?
1: Who was yours? I remember mine. It might have been Akiyama mine was
2: Akiyama yeah understandably
0: so I just think there's such a nice way of framing a list like that rather than like who's the best Mm. it's like who have I most enjoyed Mm. you know who's made me happy this year because it's a much more subjective thing you're not like it removes that thin veneer of objectivity that a lot of these lists try to have I think we're like we make no bones about it we're being completely subjective here's who's put the biggest smiles in our faces this year
3: Hmm. We like that more because Rachel's actually better at it than me. But like, if, I, if you ask me, like, who are your favorite wrestlers? What are your favorite matches ever? It immediately breaks my brain. And I feel like I've never <laughs> watched wrestling in my life. And I can't tell you. So like figuring out like who's made me happiest, that's a
1: better way of framing it yeah. for me and then I can talk
3: about
2: it. I'm pretty
1: good with listing, so. I, I don't generally have a problem with it, but yeah. the happy happiness list actually it was kind of difficult, but uh, it was very <laughs> rewarding to uh, think like not my favorite. You know, I've been it
2: this year. Uh, no. it's, uh, it's just it's just too much of a headache. No, you know? I love
0: it. I love That's... it too much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh-oh. It's become the headache uh-oh.
2: list.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Tension>. <laughs> what brought you on board wrestling, Rachel?
1: My answer is so much more boring. <laughs> I have a friend who's really into wrestling um, and she'll always talk at me about it. And I didn't really (laughs) understand anything, but she was really into Cesaro and I just wanted to support that. And eventually she started throwing people at me that she thought I might like. And that was around 2016 ish. Mm -hmm. I remember um, Asuka, Kana, and then Shinsuke. And uh, finally, Kota Ibushi.
0: What a trio! Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Kota Ibushi versus Shinsuke. I sat down and watched that match, and I had a revelation, and I sort of understood what pro wrestling was and mm. what it could do, what it could say. Watched Shinsuke versus Sami Zayn as
0: well. Oh man! Uh,
1: from Takeover, just another classic that gets a lot of people into
0: wrestling. That is one. I in the past, I when I when I had the network well, that was one I would use on people a lot
1: yeah it's it was one that sort of made me realize what pro wrestling is mm. as a storytelling medium I didn't know why I was crying over Sami Zayn I had never <laughs> seen him in my life but I was sobbing and um <laughs> I just I couldn't not root for him and then you know when I sort of figured out the whole story behind him like he's mm. still one of my favorites it's just was a really really illuminating moment for sure. me so uh-huh.
0: So I think the next question that makes sense to me is like, how did you two come together, so to speak?
1: Discord. <laughs> we met in a discord
3: and we became like friends during like the, I don't know, probably the, the deepest quote unquote part of the pandemic. We're still in a mm. pandemic, but um, it was in like those, you know, it was in like the, what, the fall of when, Rachel, now it's been almost like two years, right?
1: We always celebrate our anniversary on November 22nd. Um yeah. so we actually met sort of a month before then mm-hmm. because um it was like during the build up to Nakajima yeah. versus Shizaki. Yeah.
3: During Shio's fourth reign. So that's like where we mark like where we started to become really good friends. And then as we became better friends and were um spending a lot of time, especially you know talking about Noah together and just discussing about like what we wanted to see in terms of pro-wrestling content. Mm-hmm. There's there's, so, there's no like no shortage of pro wrestling podcasts mm-hmm. out there. You know They're there like a dime a dozen, right? Everyone's got a pro wrestling podcast. But um, we were reflecting on um, how many podcasts are just not the type of content that we want to see in the world and don't really energize us and don't make us feel very good about being wrestling fans and don't have a lot of the representation that we're looking for in this sort of very niche fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, so and we wanted to build community. We wanted to take all of the amazing people that we had met over the course of the year um, from our corner of wrestling Twitter, so to speak, and kind of build community with people. And we thought the best way to do that would be to build this podcast, build a blog around it as well, and then be able to teach and to share and to build community. So that's kind of how Kickout was born.
0: Mission Aww. accomplished, I'd say, yeah. you know, you're that doing a fantastic good. job of it. And Thank also, you. it blows my mind that you've known each other, for what, like a year?
3: Two years in October,
0: basically. I just assumed like, oh, they probably sort of grew up together. Like, I'm just, you know, projecting because that's how Liam and I are here today. (laughs) But it just sounds like you've kind of known each other your whole lives.
1: Sometimes it feels like it too. (laughs)
0: Sometimes (laughs) Sometimes we'll,
1: we'll talk about experiences that we've had as wrestling fans and realize we didn't know each other back then. Or Alicia will be talking because she started watching Pearl in 2014. She'll mm. start talking about watching, you know, different things live that I never saw mm. because I came in two years later and she'll sort of pause and like, wait a minute, you haven't always been around. Uh, so it definitely often feels <laughs> like we've, we've known each other for a very
2: long time. Oh, that's really cool. Really cool.
0: Have you had the opportunity to be in a in the same room together as yet? You have. Yeah.
3: yeah. Last, um, this this past January, we um, spent time together so we could see the Budokan show together. That's uh, amazing.
0: The Budokan show, yeah. What, what a great reason to sort of come together as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely.
2: Oh, I love that. Well, oh, that's that's really interesting. I and mean, folks, if you haven't listened to the podcast already, I really would consider uh, urge you to consider doing so because it is fantastic. For me, it reminds me of, we used to have a magazine here in the UK. I'm not sure if it made it to the States or not called Power Slam. And in Power Slam, they would do kind of deep dives or much deeper dives than you get elsewhere on Japanese wrestling. It's how I got into Noah, New Japan. They used to do a bit of Dragon Gate and things like that. And your podcast is almost like an audio book of that. You know, you get that sort of research and background. So, yeah, I always feel like I learned something, whereas I think people listen to us and just... We're we're just good time girls, you know. They just they just come to us and just have a laugh.
0: We're a bit more disposable in this in the sense, you know, we're like each week is kind of of its time. And then I feel like you know your episodes are like historical documents that need to be preserved to and studied.
3: Oh, thank you. You guys are being really kind. But like, as we were saying offline, like, up. as you were as we were saying offline, I mean your your podcast is very important to us. Even before we had a podcast, we talked about. Um, your podcast all the time because you guys bring such a warmth and an excitement to everything that you talk about and like I was saying I mean there's a lot of pro wrestling podcasts Mm. out there you can you can listen to any your any number of them but you guys always leave us very excited and energized to go watch wrestling which is really important not every podcast does that so that's where you guys are very vital and important as voices in this community
2: oh fabulous very lovely
0: I feel like we just have no interest in like being part of the like hate economy you Ugh. know, that generates clicks and listens. Phrase. And for us, like, I think we're both naturally quite positive people mm. anyway. So we're just like, let's just talk about the things we enjoy.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I've just recently had to cover Best of Super Juniors for Inside the roots magazine. I was really torn because I'm a terrible reviewer because I just like everything. You know, it's it's so rare that I'm like, oh, this bit was rubbish, you know? So I'm like, oh, I should probably turn this down, but then we want to get some Japan in the mag, so I should probably take it. (laughs) So, you know, if you get there, you'll see it's a relatively glaring one. Had to really dig for the negative stuff, but yeah, we're glass half full kind of guys. So yeah, that's really nice to hear that trans uh, that translates.
0: Right, so this has been great and I feel like we could kind of talk like this forever in a day but the the reason we are gathered here today <laughs> cyber fight festival 2022
2: we got a six hour show to get into oh.
3: that's
0: right again we could probably talk about it for six hours a lot coming out of this show so much Eating okay and the so, bad, for sure absolutely
2: so where do we start should we go from the top down that's probably the way to go rather than you sort of blow for blow so kind of what what were your overall thoughts sort of coming into this and, and you know, your expectations for the card and, and where did it land? I
3: was really looking forward to this card. The card for me last year was one of like my highlights of mm. 2021 for sure. The main event in particular was super, 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 super important for me because Marafuji got to go over Keiji Muto. So that was huge for me and being able to, you know, experience that then. And I mean, the, the card last year was stellar. So expectations for this card were very high. And I think that there were definitely a few matches where I walked away going like, these are really cool. I'm excited to see what is going to come after these. There's some angles that are coming out of them where, you know, we're gonna potentially see some really great stuff um, unfolding over the next few weeks for these various promotions. And then there was definitely some real low points of this card as well things that are you know there's the you know some some deeply upsetting things coming out of this card with endo tetsuya having to uh, relinquish his title due mm. to an accident happening in that match um which i'm sure we'll get into um and then there's some really interesting things we could talk about when it comes to um shio and uh, kojima and mm-hmm. the result of that match and what that means for noah moving forward so mm. There's definitely a mixed bag of results coming out of CyberFight, but in terms of the presentation of the show overall, mm. stellar. I mean, there Absolutely. are some real high points to the the presentation and the care that went into making this show look spectacular.
0: Yeah, hundred percent.
2: Couldn't agree more. I actually thought, on reflection, that as a production, it was more of a spectacle than Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Or even I mean, I I haven't watched WrestleMania, but I've seen kind of I know of it. And, you know, even that it just the way that they were dressing things up on the stage, all of the dance troops, the the screens, the different entrances. It was incredible. Mm. It was a real production. So, yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that camera they have, they only seem to have it for a couple of angles, but, you know, the entrances and when they get in the ring. Just such incredible definition. It just makes it all look really big time. makes yeah. it look like boxing or, or something like that.
0: The Noah folk were used to kind of seeing... Mm. through that lens so it was just dead exciting seeing the DDT Gambare and TJPW folk getting their, their high definition shots
1: yeah for sure the uh, production was second to none uh there was it was absolutely a beautiful show I really mm. do hope they carry that over
0: yeah um, to the next
1: year and I can't imagine that they will the show was a success it oh absolutely to be well um, mm. The crowd was very good. The crowd was very hot. We'll talk mm. about that um, a bit later. I was very impressed with how excited the crowd was. And yeah, overall the show, I think Alicia just summed it up. There were some good highs, good lows. I think as a fan of a certain wrestler, I had a very good time <laughs> being a Kenno fan. Um, mm. This was a very <laughs> good show for me. Mm. Um, it doesn't really outweigh some of the bad stuff, but I think that overall, I enjoyed it, I Mm. did.
0: My kind of overall feeling was just like, I feel like compared to last year's show, this felt more like a shop window for all the promotions rather than a great show in and of itself, if that makes sense. Mm. This was like, here's a taster, come Mm. and if you don't already watch the other promotions, Here's what you're missing out on.
1: And I think that was intentional. Yeah, I think I that do. was the point why we got two offer matches per company, that sort of thing. And um, I think that was fine. It's a different approach. We'll see what they take into next year. Should they get a show next year? And I hope they do. Yeah. I genuinely don't see a reason why not. I think mm-hmm. the show was a success and it was enjoyable.
0: Yeah. On its, on its own terms, I think it succeeded in what it set out to, to do. And I just think it's a different show conceptually than to what you get a lot of the time, which is a show trying to like fire on all cylinders and be the best possible show for its own sake.
2: Yeah, you're so right. It's almost like as promotions, they need to manage our expectations a little bit and so, you know, this this is it's not so much mania, but it's survivor series. We're, yeah. we're giving you a bit of a, an inkling as to what's to come, as opposed to it being like the season finale for for these um for these promotions. Yeah,
0: you know, much like the Wrestle Kingdom Night Three. Noah new japan show which was a lot of sort of tags and the like which you know isn't necessarily setting the world on fire in terms of like you're not champing at the bit for these sort of random tags. It's nice to see these people interacting, of course.
3: I love a random tag. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
3: we're both like, I don't know about that. I think like my favorite matches of the year are all like all Japan six mans because they cause me the least psychic psychic damage at this point in sure. the year. But like- I, I, can
1: sit down and, I can sit down and talk to you for about three hours about LIJ versus Congo if you really want to.
2: <laughs> but like, I, like, I don't care if you are that.
3: Your point, we're being silly, but Gareth, your point is totally valid. I I know exactly what you're saying.
0: (laughs) I'm not galaxy brained enough about...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I really do agree.
0: But I do think (laughs) for most people, what feels the biggest is those sort of singles matches. Really, it was just Kano and um, Sasaki was like the kind of one real cross-promotional singles matches discounting Shio and Kajima.
3: Yeah, that was actually something that I checked very early on when they released the card. There was basically two major disappointments I had in the card this year. One of them being that um, Katsuhiko Nakajima did not make it onto the card at first. And mm-hmm. we, I, we can get into Which all is of that.
0: wild. Yeah
3: so that's such an oversight to me I was really upset and then the other thing that I was upset about is that and this and this ended up being like my most anticipated match in both iterations of it but I was still disappointed that uh, Tatia Endo did not have a championship match on this card and there is an importance to keeping burning at the forefront of things happening in DDT right now.
0: Yeah that's kind of moving things along and.
3: Yeah there's like there's storyline stuff going on it's really important but you know, part of the appeal of last year's card is that you had those three major championship matches yeah. right yeah. at the bottom of the card, 100%. and we weren't going to see um, you know, a championship match from Tatsuya Endo. And I was disappointed that with this rain that we weren't going to see mm. that at CyberFight Fest. So it definitely the the structure of the card in that way felt a little strange to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree. Let's whilst we're here, then let's let's just talk about Endo real quick because obviously this. Yeah, you know, this was the the nadir of the card. Almost certainly, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, Endo suffered a very serious injury. He was knocked out cold, effectively, by Nakajima. Uh, wayward slap. Just to, look. I, I saw a few people saying they didn't realise a slap could knock somebody out, and that's a totally understandable thing to say. Think of it more as a palm strike, and you know, an open hand slap like that. You know, the the two off buttons on a on a human head, if you like. Uh, the temple and the chin. And mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're hitting somebody with an open hand palm strike, the likelihood is you're going hit, to hit one of those buttons. Yeah. So that's essentially what happened there. And Nakajima, as we've heard from Stu Fulton when he was on, is no joke in the striking department. Like, he throws he hard. So it was just one of those things, unfortunately. And, you know, Endo, as you may have heard from the podcast – such a nice guy, What's and was have. clearly looking forward to this mm-hmm. as well. So my heart breaks for him, really, to, for him to be in this position.
0: Yeah, he was really keeping everything crossed that he was just going to have like a real standout performance here, and unfortunately that wasn't to be the case.
2: Yeah, and actually, what what transpired was you know, the point where they they were in the match. You know, Endo had beckoned Nakajima into the ring. Effectively, he started the fight, for lack of a better expression. And he'd been hitting uh, Nakajima with strikes that were effectively being no-sold. For the first one that Nakajima threw to land and knock him out cold is so unfortunate from like a kayfabe perspective, mm. if you like. it, You know, just, it, it's a real tragedy. But, and there's the man, he's going to come back. Who knows? Maybe they'll make something of this. Maybe this is Cyberfight next year. Maybe we get a one-on-one between them and, you know, we can we can make something out of it. It's It's yeah. a good story. But in the meantime... What a shame. I hope he, hope he feels better soon.
3: This match was was really sad. And like I said, it was my favorite match going into this in both iterations. I was mm. very excited when it was Marafuji on the card. We're in June Akiyama's 30th anniversary year. Um, so it was going to be really exciting to see Marafuji and Akiyama on opposite sides of the ring again. We did get them at the Budokan. First Noah back at the Budokan show, but they haven't been really on opposite sides of the ring. I think they did a tag in 2019 for Noah, but before that, it would have been Champion Carnival in 2018 that they would Gosh. have been on opposite sides of the ring. So this would have been really exciting to see in Akiyama's 30th year when they have so much history together, and mm. Mar Fuji is so a part of Akiyama's history. So this was. Mm. So exciting for me, but then um, he needed to get knee surgery, and that's just what happens, and it's good he took you know, his time yeah. to get that fixed, and he's going to heal and recover and be fine. When they added Nakajima to this, it still felt like a great way to get him on the card, first and foremost, and then still keep a lot of the themes of this match intact, which were going to be largely about Akiyama and Katoge anyway, Um, because if we remember from DDT's judgment in March, a lot of that was about Akiyama putting over the younger guys in that match as well. Um, especially Okatani. So there, that match could still be preserved. And that was great. And, you know, to echo Liam, like what happened is such a tragedy and this never should have happened. And there's a lot of Layers, I think, to the response of this that are important to talk about, if you will, if you don't mind me, who no, cares hijacking no, no, the no. discussion on no, this. No, not um, at all. So I think what's troubling me the most coming out of this is that there are a lot of people who um, seem to believe that that this was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, from people's, you know, tweets, you can read a lot of people saying, well, this is on Nakajima and a lot of blame being placed on him. And I think it's important to remind people that. On Monday, it was like the 13th anniversary, I believe, of Mitsuharu Misawa's death. And mm. when you say things like it's on him and you put blame on a wrestler for an accident that happens in the ring, a very easy to happen accident that happens in the ring, um, you are echoing mistakes of the past. Mm.
0: Slippery slope.
3: The very slippery slope. And mm. not even that long ago with uh, Segura as well. Mm. Yeah. Not even that long ago with Sugira and Otani as well. So I wish people would um, think about their tweets before they send them um, mm-hmm. and the impact that it has on people's mental health. But you have the um, the other side of this is that people are, um, and Liam, you spoke to this kind of beautifully and that people don't understand how impactful a slap like this can be.
1: Um, oh, yeah.
3: And um, people don't seem to understand that this is not a reflection of um, endo not being tough enough to withstand sort of slap and it's amazing i have to say that but there's a lot of people on on places like twitter that are making that sort of statement so it just doesn't seem like even in a a post katsuyori shibata's injury world we're still not able to come together um the wrestling industry or fans to have meaningful conversations around head trauma and concussions and what those things look like Sure. there's a lot of things that are coming out of this that i think are a little disappointing but i do want to reference very quickly this article that came out regarding um junakiyama He had some very strong words in his post-match regarding this. He was very upset. He reacted very emotionally Mm -hmm. um, because he is very protective of Endo. But since then, he has said that this was not anyone's fault. So I think that's really helpful to know coming Mm -hmm. out of this. He did acknowledge that, um, well, he did say rather that this is not, or rather, I think that's what we've always done in Noah. So he does acknowledge that this is the historical style in Noah Mm -hmm. and that people like him have played a part in why people still work this stiff and don't Mm -hmm. necessarily pull... Their slaps, and he acknowledged that he has suffered head trauma and concussions due to working with. uh, He references specifically Toshiaki Kawada um, in all Japan. So he talks about that and how he just doesn't want to see younger wrestlers continue to get hurt in the way people from his generation got hurt, and these things were never addressed. So I think it's important that people just be aware of what they're tweeting and the implications that these things have, and the mental Mm -hmm. health aspects of this as well because this is a multi-layered nuanced issue when we're yeah. discussing them.
0: It's not super cut and dry.
1: I mean, there are layers of generational trauma here. Mm. It's, it's a very heavy subject, but mm. it does need to be addressed. And that I do really recommend um, that article, even just running it like yeah. through a translator, you can still really get the impact of it. Um, it's, it's a little harrowing the way mm. he describes this head trauma, but I do really recommend it. It's very, very sobering, but it's also very um, unbiased and meaningful.
0: Yeah, I think that's great of Akiyama to go ahead and put something like that out. Definitely. I think necessary really to quell some of that backlash.
2: Oh, absolutely. 100%. All right, let's move on there. We wish Ender the best. He's going to be back, no doubt about it. And uh, really look forward to seeing him back.
1: On a little brighter note, um, it does seem that with the King of DDT tournament, they are sort of working it into a storyline. Now you have both Akiyama and uh, Higuchi, his tag partners Mm. for this match, uh, wanting to carry on his will and uh, take it all the way to the end to get the belt so they can hold it for when he comes back. And I think that would just be an incredible uh, King sure. of DDT final. I, yeah. I can't imagine mm, wanting child. anything more than that. So there's a lot to look forward to as well. It gets very exciting, but it is, the core of it is very tragic.
0: You can tell how pumped I am for uh, this King of DDT because I've uh, stayed off Twitter today.
1: <laughs> Our,
2: so smart. <laughs> so oh, no, I, so <laughs> I
0: spoiled a little bit. No, no, oh, well. no you're fine. Oh, no, I
2: too. Man, I, I just, I'm so desperate for Haguchi to win this tournament
0: and how cool did he look coming out with the flag oh, and-
3: <laughs> oh he looked so cool I mean just, like, just everyone's entrances were amazing yeah. but like that moment with Higuchi is like seared into my brain because like there's no yes. one cooler to do
1: an entrance like that so, no, yeah no. his his robe is fantastic like eat your heart out Shingo Takagi and, <laughs> like it, the flag and he just looked like the standard bearer for the company it's just yeah like, it was great it was a yeah. really good entrance for all three of them
0: how about Inamura's new look in this as well
1: love shines
2: lost in the shuffle but that was amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: so cool.
2: reminded me of did you know the wrestler on the us indies janae kai
1: oh yes actually i um yeah, a bit like her. That, the bit like like her. The last yeah. epw show i went to
2: yeah yeah a bit like her um but yeah just very cool very cool indeed.
0: everyone's costuming everyone's gear you know all the entrances like just top notch, top to bottom here.
2: Okay, well, let's we're, we're jumping around a bit, yeah. but if we're talking about <laughs> costumes and gear, then we got to talk about Kano, right? Because, because, Kano went full Super Saiyan yeah. here, and it was amazing.
0: His meter of rage against DDT finally hit the the sort of top, and he leveled up.
2: I'm not buying it anymore. I'm not <laughs> buying. It. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it anymore. I've had my suspicions for a long time.
1: Yeah, afterwards, Tetsi Inada, who's a voice actor, um, had this really great DDT spaces, Twitter spaces moment, where he actually accused Keno of being the biggest DDT mark of them all (laughs) uh, with that entrance. And I think he's probably on to something. No, this... (laughs) are we talking about this match now? Because Let's
0: do it. Let's Let's dive in.
1: All
0: right. Uh, My kind of next thing was, I was going to go, well, what was everybody's overall highlight of the show? And I'm, I'm going to guess, Rachel, that this was probably. I'm guessing it's all of yours. Yeah. Well, I was literally just sort of sat here at like 7am watching that going like, "Oh well, Rachel's just spontaneously combusted somewhere on the East coast of America.
1: I did. I did. (laughs) I wasn't, I couldn't after the brutality of the last match, like the mm. way that it just sort of hollowed me out, um, I wasn't sure how I could enjoy this match. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kenno's entrance was the answer.
2: It was the perfect tonic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it definitely uh, eased things up a little bit, uh, which isn't to say anything against Daisuke Sasaki's entrance. I did rewatch cool. this match um, about, I think, two times. One, Well, I watched it, regularly two times and then i watched it again um, with keno's commentary which is on wrestle universe which does a talk show <laughs> with a um actress and so um i did watch i guess i rewatched this match three times technically <laughs> um so from there i was able to get sort of um, a different perspective on it but i think sasaki's was one of alicia's favorite entrances of the night
2: yeah
1: Eek aesthetics. oh yeah that was great uh, the aesthetic was great i liked that they had like the dancer sort of resembling kenno like falling victim to the darkness uh was was really cool and then yeah kenno came out and had this his hair pushed back someone on twitter mentioned that he sort of resembles rao from fist of the north star which is where he takes his namesake from his Rao is the fist king which is the kenno so um a little bit of um i guess deep lore <laughs> there for him but um
0: well, you gotta to listen to kick out guys yeah <laughs>
2: I, deep- I had no idea about that so.
1: <laughs> and before this match actually um one of his streams on his youtube channel he actually called up um Peita from the garlic boys who performs his theme song heartbreak mosh and um, he calls him like live on the YouTube to ask him to perform for him, and they're good friends. And it was very cute. Pato was like practicing all the way up to the event, like on Twitter and showing <laughs> videos. So it was just very Kenno. Like it was just his personality, um, a little bit even away. Like I would almost argue that it wasn't his rage. It was just him. He was fighting for himself, mm-hmm. which is a very big difference to his character, but also Sasaki, who is very pointedly, he's focused on Keno. He has that cross with Keno's name on it. He's fighting for DDT. He's fighting with DDT on his back, um, which is very opposite of who Sasaki normally is. He's normally mm. very despondent. He's very against DDT. He's, he's very you know lazy and careless. Whereas now he's coming in with this pride after Keno has um, assaulted him the way that he has with the fire kick and um, constantly coming after him on Twitter, like demanding Mm. that, you know, you come, you come attack me at this show. You come with that little cattle prod and you attack me. And Sasaki won't do it. He's like, no, I won't go to a, I will not go to a Noah show that I'm not paid to go to. Um, And he's, he's fighting for DDT. Whereas Keno is... He never really said he was fighting for Noah, Mm -hmm. which I found it very interesting because that's normally his character rather he was fighting to prove a point that his wrestling philosophy um, and therefore in a lot of ways Noah's wrestling philosophy is better than DDT's wrestling philosophy which he saw DDT as being nothing but a school play, which I find very interesting because of how theatrical (laughs) this entire um, production, this entire show was. Mm. So um, there's a lot of uh, wars of philosophies that you could talk about here, but for the most part, yeah. It it was interesting to see him do that entrance where it just it speaks to who he is mm. and who he's always been as a wrestler in almost a final form, like a final boss mm. kind of way, mm. rather than um like just his angry self. Yeah. He was showing a lot more of himself.
2: Yeah. In many ways, whilst he put his hair up, he was kind of letting his hair down. You know, it was, it was <laughs> Yeah, it was
1: a little bit a li-
2: of just going bit. for it. Yeah.
1: yeah, he was he was showing off a side of himself, especially singing to his own theme. Mm. Um, he says in that commentary that he was really embarrassed by it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, then, and that's not something normally he allows himself, but he was um, going full in on the theatrics and um, sort of almost buying in to DDT's school play just a little bit but in a very serious and over-the-top way because Keno takes everything seriously so
0: Keno embarrassing himself gives me life
1: yeah it's a little a little bit yeah
0: at Bagus when he did the little jump and then we're just like, was just like oh cute. no what have that I done really just yeah it's absolutely slayed me
1: yeah when Keno catches himself and un-Keno like no, what have
0: I done you.
2: He's such a wonderful character. Yeah. This is the benefit of having a fully formed three D character, you know. Very interesting. Your fans watch something that you do, and you don't even need to react. They know what you're going to do, and that's that's a complete character, basically. And yeah, he's wonderful. I think I referred to him on Twitter to Rachel as a as a prudish Minoru Suzuki. You know, he's uh, I both. I love that. I love that. Fully so formed but Kenno really just doesn't want to be in the mud like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that though, um, because you get a lot of Minoru Suzuki. um, His character is so established that he Mm. can go off and do anything and do all this silly stuff, but no, it's still the boss, it's still Misu. You have no doubt in your mind. It still mm. works within his character. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like he's being out of character at all. And um, Kenno's gotten there. Kenno has definitely gotten to that point. And if you really love, want, I could go all the way back <laughs> <laughs> to the, to the nascent of his, uh, mm-hmm. how he built that character, but we will not, we will save that for another day. We'll save that for an episode on kick out, check that out. <laughs> Man. But um, no, for real, it is really, really inspiring to see him get there and um, see him do a match like this. I was floored when Mm -hmm. he announced it. And he was the one who proposed it, which (laughs) I thought, I mean, in kayfabe, but um, I was, I was amazed because he just never does anything like that. He's done, you know, little things before um, his defense of the GHC against Yuka Miyamoto had some really good table spots. Um, He was sort of making fun of uh, Miyamoto up to that point for doing hardcore matches. So you can see hints of him wanting to do that. You of course have um, the great Muda match from the year previous, Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I, it becomes very important in this match, um, so uh, That was such yeah, a giddy. Like,
0: I really enjoyed that match.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just, I love, if you don't mind, I could talk about this match just a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Go
0: ahead. Um, so
1: yeah, we have, um, we have the entrances, of course. And one thing I love about this match is that it's telling two very distinct, but two very great and compelling stories. Mm-hmm. And one is the story of Daisuke Sasaki carrying, and I mentioned this before, the heart and weight of DDT with him. He starts out this match attacking Keno with a lot of props, um, including the Gundam helmet. You often see (laughs) adorned by Sanchiro Takagi. You have Yoshihiko interfering in the match on behalf of Sasaki. Um, And then that's, you know, you get Keno's bewilderment and, and Keno literally throws him out. He rejects it. He rejects all of this and he begins to show off his own unique brutality. Um, but one thing that really, really resonates, and this is something that's come up a lot and people have mentioned on Twitter, people have mentioned, you know, just throughout, um, is Sasaki using both Takagi's stunner and Hiroshima's Samato in um, rapid succession, taking two of the strongest symbols of DDT, the president of DDT and Mr. DDT himself, and carrying them on his back in a way that is just extremely important to the promotion Mm. he's not fighting Mm. for himself Um, he is just putting in this true effort for the promotion that he loves and fighting in the style and with the philosophies of that promotion Mm. and that's just a really incredible thing and I I can only imagine that Daisuke Sasaki fans were really really stunned and um, just really proud of him for that
0: I like that you can enjoy this match on just like a very base level like that it's just yeah. a really fun oh yeah hardcore match then also if you you know you know the kind of symbolism the law oh yeah all that good stuff it's like mm. it just adds layer upon layer of like meaning to everything that's going on and just makes it more enjoyable
1: oh yeah it's fantastic it's a really fun nonsense match in a lot of ways but um the the storylines that they tell here are just really mm. really good
0: and um yeah do we think here this is the end of Kenno uh, Keno versus DDT or is there, is there well, another, ch- is there more chapters to come?
1: Let me, all right. Let's talk about Keno's half of the story. <laughs> so sorry. I'm like taking up all the, all the airtime. Uh, so Keno's story in this match actually calls back to me. Um, I mean, it calls back through a lot of things, but especially a year prior, during the summer of 2021, Keno spent a lot of time eating shit to mm-hmm. shenanigans. You have the Congo versus DDT match naturally. Um, and then you also have his singles match against the Great Muda on June 27th. Mm-hmm. And both times, Keno lost due to interference and just pure nonsense um, after being overwhelmed by it. He was befuddled in the back stages, And this is important, he was mumbling to himself is this also pro wrestling? Both times he was sort of adjusting to the style of pro wrestling. And I had always wondered how that exploration of different wrestling philosophies would pay off for him. And this this match is how it happens. Mm. Um, He shows multiple times in this match how even though he doesn't like that style, he has learned from it. Mm. He throws out the attempts, but he starts to adjust to it you have Funaki (laughs) utilizing, um, the bike, uh, (laughs) which,
0: yeah, it's actually
1: fun fact is that it's the same brand of bike that Kenno rides in his YouTube videos.
0: Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That's a nice little touch.
1: Yeah. Just a, just a nice little fun fact for you, um, to resemble that legendary spot from last year. And then Kenno actually wins this match using Great Muda's Poison Mist, Mm -hmm. which I missed the first time. When Sasaki comes down from the ladder, Keno sprays him. He moves out of the way, gets up and sprays him. He gets him in the stomach and then he grabs Sasaki and moves in and sprays him again in the face before kicking him and then landing that beautiful PFS from the heavens (laughs) (laughs) from the ladder, which was held by members of Congo. He had spent the last, especially the last year, sort of building these bonds and going from Mm. just a unit, a militaristic unit to a real family. They are very close Mm. now. So you get a lot of power of friendship. In this match, them holding the ladder, you have Hiroki sort of coaching Keno through. So this is really a lot of Keno learning about different things in wrestling beyond just that brutality that he has always known and that he has always coached and that his philosophy has always, always been focused around is that he is now stepping into someone else's world and accepting it. And he says that after the match. Um, He gives nothing but respect to Daisuke Sasaki. Mm -hmm. Absolutely nothing but respect. And he sits down and he says, take your cultural wrestling, which is what DDT describes it as sort of their version of sports entertainment. Take your cultural wrestling and take it with pride. We have different philosophies but that doesn't make one better than the other. We can exist together as cyber fight. So yeah, I think this is sort Mm. of the end of the story end of the arc for him. I think he's, yeah, he's almost, there are no real heels and faces, but he's almost made a a full baby face turn. And we'll talk about that in a little bit.
0: I do think as well, like one of the things, so A, love friendship and wrestling makes me very happy. Uh, (laughs) B, love to see character growth in wrestling because all too often there's like kind of an arrested development, imposed on wrestlers like once you kind of become like a top guy it's like you can you you're not allowed to keep evolving and changing just like you have to stay static in this mold of like what made you a top guy oh and, boy
1: are we gonna talk about go shiozaki
0: and i just really love <laughs> like, i think i think that's probably where we need to go next then, isn't it and i just i love here that Keno has grown and changed and like come out the other side like a changed man
2: Mm, mm. Yeah, a that's bit. a really good point. Really, I want to test you, test this with you, Rachel. Actually, since we're, we're talking Keno, but no, I just I was interested by the the two big matches. I think they were in both in 2020, possibly one was in 2021. Go versus Fujita the stare down, and then shortly thereafter it was Keno versus Fujita I think it was for the national title. And the thing that struck me about those two matches was Fujita instigates stare down. We Go, he stands there painstakingly for half an hour and doesn't move. And Fujita has Back to move in first. Agony. With Kano, he doesn't have that level of patience and he moved first. And I thought that as soon as he did, that was his downfall. So do you think at this stage, if they were to do it again, that he has learned from that in the same way he's learned from his experiences with DDT and maybe he'd let Fujita blink first? Or does he still got too much Kano in him and will <laughs> make the move first?
1: That's a good question. That's a really, really Mm. good question. I think it sort of depends on how that stare down is treated in kayfabe. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if we're supposed to see that stare down as something inherently like bizarre or above, I guess a different philosophy for Noah. Um, especially in your wonderful interview with Shizaki, it almost really didn't seem like it was out of line for Noah's philosophies. It was almost about um, like fighting spirit that mm. he couldn't. He felt he couldn't back down because he, if he did, he would have lost. Which goes beautifully with what you were saying. So I really don't know because I think. Kenna would still enter that match with the mindset that, oh, this is a Noah match. That this is, you know, a match within my realm. So I think he would treat it as though it is within his realm. But um, I suppose oh, I we'll it. see.
2: Yeah. Oh, this is what we, this is what it's we wanted. Aside, this is exactly yeah. what we wanted. <laughs> How long have we got, Gareth? Like, this is what we're going to have to do another one. Yeah, that's it.
0: <laughs> Would you say this was your match of the night as well, Alicia? Or
1: Oh, I didn't say it was my match oh, of the night. Oh, my okay. match of the ah. night was the opening. No. <laughs> no, this was my match of the night. <laughs> anyway, what about you, Alicia? No, this wasn't my match of the night. I'm kind of torn
3: between, there's like three that I sort of bounce between. I loved the eruption versus gone pro match. I thought that was really important. I also loved the younger Noah guys versus the younger DT guys. I thought that was really important and that had some really great build to it coming Mm -hmm. off of the press conference going in. So I loved that. And then obviously Shiyazaki versus uh, Kojima was a huge, huge part of the experience of this and has some very important implications for moving forward but mm. so yeah it's hard I keep bouncing between those three but I mean the spectacle of, of Shio's entrance is hard to uh it's hard to deny that was a stunning
1: <laughs> bit of work
2: it was amazing it was just amazing well let, let's go there next yeah. sentence since we're there. how about just, those visuals okay. just oh my word yeah, just... I,
1: I would love to I would love to talk about all three and I'd love to hear Alicia talk about all three mm. but yeah that's Let's start off.
2: Oh my gosh, just the just the cape, the trail. I just, it was amazing. It was just incredible.
1: <laughs> when the lights hit and the music immediately started, I whispered, "Oh no, he is not. He is not going for a god emperor route." But yeah. there he is.
3: <laughs> Very Dune moment for Chiazakiyo <laughs> yeah. so at this entrance. Just astounding. I mean, he is just this once in a generation talent that uh and it's not just because he's an exceptional professional wrestler but it's the the nuance that he brings to his character work and he brought that to this entrance to demonstrate where he is now on this very visual in in this very visual way and this Mm. is sort of the only entrance that he's going to have to be able to do something like this so Mm. he really he really went all out. I mean, he's just such a thoughtful person when it comes to how he demonstrates his character to you and, and, and what, you know, where exactly he is in the stories he's trying to tell you. And he's, he's, he's been this way for a long time, but I mean, just in like the last couple of months, since he's returned from injury, he's, he's telling a very specific story that runs in contrast to where he was when he left to get his arm surgery. I mean, Mm -hmm. his fourth reign was all about the redemption of, you know Goshiyazaki, and mm. um, you know what it took to get him to where he was. Finally, Noah, where he could finally stand on his own two feet and and be redeemed in the eyes of Noah fans and in the Noah roster. And it was an exceptionally well done story that took many, many, many years to tell for a mm-hmm. lot of different reasons, and it finally mm-hmm. came together for him. And then he comes back in November of 2021 after the healing from that injury mm-hmm. and he was not quite himself even in coming out to confront Kazuki Nakajima after that draw with Keno. His personality was different, and this was a much colder, very different Shiyazaki than who we had seen in that fourth reign. And since then, we have seen him struggle with his identity when he doesn't have the GHC Heavyweight Championship, mm-hmm. and who is go Shiyazaki if he does not hold the GHC heavyweight championship. And what does that mean? And the weight of legacy, uh, which weighs very heavily on him in particular, since he is always invoking Misawa and Kobashi. Mm-hmm. So there is so much um, and so many layers to the story that Shiazaki has been telling. And he sort of accidentally, I think, wound up in this position because we don't know what would have happened with the match with Fujita. We'll, we'll never know because of the nature of COVID and illness, but
2: mm.
3: he entered this in a very, interesting position but the beauty of this entrance is that we have now we are now seeing go completely lost in that belt and um to the point where he doesn't know who he is anymore except that he is now above the belt he is now above the promotion um and it's it's extraordinary to see that displayed in the visuals and the way that they used them but he is a master of, of storytelling and nuance um, in everything he does from his facial expressions in the ring and the way he holds his jaw. And just, he's, he's incredible in the way that he, he demonstrates things. Um, and then to have this big visual spectacle too is just an amazing opportunity to see this man work.
2: Mm. 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 So yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: Where do we think he goes from here?
3: Oh boy. No. <laughs> yeah. Noah is in a very interesting position. And I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts, Liam, and, and your thoughts, Gareth, as well. Um, in regards to how you felt coming off this main event with uh, Shiozaki losing uh, to Kojima. And I'm I'm very, very mixed about mm. what this means for Noah mm-hmm. and where this leaves Shiozaki. I think where I'm at is that in um, in kayfabe, this is a fascinating part of Shio's story. Absolutely. This just continues that story. And I think that that is compelling from a, a shoe perspective, from just looking at this, this company right now. Timing and optics yeah, are going 100%. to be Noah's problem moving forward as they continue to struggle with who they're putting this belt on and who they're prioritizing mm. over their much young and sheo's not exactly young he's 40 now but who they're prioritizing over their younger wrestlers on their roster who mm. desperately need a push I'll talk about this if we get to talk about Kenya Okada but they're they, they have some issues in who they're prioritizing and who they're pushing up the card right now but the issue is that Satoshi Kojima is a, a very talented and incredible man, yes. and this match mm. was fantastic, and he deserves that Grand Slam accolade mm. so much. But mm. at what cost? Did you know? Does it? It doesn't feel good to have Shiyazaki back in his third reign, which she, um, Sagira took that belt from him that time. Well, Sagira taken the belt from him more than once, but Sagira took the reign, <laughs> uh, took the belt off him in the third reign too, and that was also um, a very very brief pointless sort of rain during the Suzuki-gun era days of Noah and it just doesn't feel very good so again timing and optics not mm. great but from the from the kayfabe perspective of where this leaves Shio sort of still drowning in the weight of what it means to be Noah and not being able to separate his identity from the belt and what it means to have that belt that's fascinating and I'd like to see that explored more But it doesn't feel good that this has now um, been a very short transitionary reign as they bring uh, Kojima to that accolade of being a Grand Slam Mm -hmm. champion.
2: Gosh, yeah, good points well made. Absolutely. Go on, Gav. I was just going to
0: say, there just seems to be a certain amount of being damned to repeat their own history. You know, there's this sort of cycle of the belt going back to these top and or older guys to the massive detriment of their younger talent. And also, like for me, you two, you all might disagree with me, but like again, it feels a little like I can't think of a better way to describe it than maybe like stunt booking, you know, putting the belt on Muta, putting the belt on Kojima here. Like it, it feels like a very like short term solution. Like it's just the, this will generate some, some short term headlines at the de- to the detriment of our long term health of the company perhaps
2: does that speak to what we were talking about earlier perhaps in terms of you know the event how we frame the event as fans you know is this the super show of these four companies or is it purely a shop window to you know generate as much buzz and you know publicity as possible because I wondered about that it seemed like a very counterintuitive decision mm. initially you know I, I don't think many people had Kojima in the wing column going into no. it but I suppose from a headlines perspective, if you look, if you were to look at it in as mercenary as, a lens as that, you know, triple crown champion, New Japan guy wins the Noah, Noah title, there's a lot to be said in the press about that. So maybe it is just as, as cold and as uninspiring, you know, from a fan perspective, but maybe it is just a business thing.
3: It felt political. Yeah. Oh, it did. I think that you're both right. And I think that honestly, Noah's booking for a while now has been a bit shock factor i mean liam you referenced the the fujita keno match and that like really quick title change there that i don't think anyone was expecting i mean we all thought that keno was still going to go over and continue that reign i mean examples like that i mean Noah's booking for a while has been about that quick shock factor booking and um it gets a bit um tiresome after a while especially when it's always at the expense of the middle gen and the younger gen, um, it does not benefit them at all.
0: Yeah, there's some head scratching decisions. The wrestling top notch, but oh, yeah. you know it does yeah. it does leave you going. I always feel like I give Noah the benefit of the doubt as well. Like I'm sure this is going somewhere, and I feel like I've been burnt a couple of times. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I think yeah, we definitely. Um... We definitely feel that way as well. I think like where I started to really like, I, and I was, I've was, i been that way too, honestly. I've, I've always tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. And we talk about a lot of their, Noah's in a really weird position where because of the historical booking issues of Noah going back into the early 2000s, which I won't get into, we talk about it and not to plug us again, but we we talk about it in episode two of Kick Out, and it's called I Am Noah. Um,
0: Such a obviously well-researched and a fantastic episode. I think a really good place to hop on board with with your podcast as well, like for, for a new listener, if you are interested in Noah at all.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we, we just, we talk about Noah being in this really weird position where they have to sort of resolve three generations of booking issues at once because mm. they have to constantly resolve real Noah's issues, which is like Sagira, Marfuji, those type of guys, They've got to satisfy the middle gen's booking issues, which is Shiyazaki, Nakajima, Keno, those type of guys. And then you have the younger guys coming up, which is like Kaito. And then like the really younger guys, which is like, well, they're not even really that young anymore. Inamura and uh, Kenya, they're all like starting to head into like their early 30s, which is yeah. like their prime time. They've got to start mm-hmm. moving on these guys and they've got to try to resolve all of these issues at the same time. But Noah constantly shoots itself in the foot because they... They're just—they're not—they're not—they're slipping in how they're going to prioritize all these various booking issues and.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it to me is just very beholden to its past, mm-hmm. right? Which is wrongly. a strength
2: and also yeah. a weakness. Sometimes it manifests in different ways. Yeah. Here's a question for you: Do you think had Fujita not gone down with COVID, do you think he would have gone into CyberFight Festival as the champion?
3: I believe so because he said something very interesting in one of the multi mans. I don't remember when this was anymore, but he said something that fascinated me. And I thought I could understand where they were going to go with the booking of this. He said, I am CyberFight," <laughs> And that was like right after he had said for a couple of like he was saying, I am Noah, I am Noah, which like he's just he's parenting Chiyazaki. But when he said, I am cyber fight, and then he not only laid out Shio, but he laid out Sugira. I said, okay, they're going to put him through every pillar that Noah has until the only person that can stop him are only people. Because we had like two people in mind and Rachel, you could tell me who my other, Rachel has to give me all of my thoughts. Rachel, you could tell me who my <laughs> other thought was. Um, I felt, felt that the only people who could stop him would be Keno. And I couldn't remember who my other choice was, but I felt like they were going to throw him through. Or maybe I thought Sagira might be able to do it, but they had already put him through um, Nakajima to get the belt. I thought they would put him through Shiyazaki. Um, I felt that perhaps, I mean, I had tapped, um, Sagira for making it to five before Mara, Fuji and Shio. And then I ended up being wrong. I ended up being Shio as the first to five GHC heavy wins. So, but my point being is that because he said that, um, I really did think that they were going to put him through a lot of, um, Noah's quote unquote pillars, their big mm-hmm, guys, mm-hmm. um, until they could have someone else, um, rise up to stop him, to protect, Noah
0: classic storytelling
3: so that was my guess
2: yeah so I suppose okay that's that's super interesting
1: also it was Sugira Sugira, um, no, okay yeah Sugira yeah, <laughs> was like the, the one who would have to like have to rise up and stop him yeah. um speaking to the way that Noah likes to panic put the belt on Sugira um yeah. <laughs> when when they are in dire <laughs> straits so um we we kind of thought that the uh guardian of uh, Noah would rise again or um the new guard or guardian. he would go
3: down and they would they would finally get Kenno back in a position where he can have um a more meaningful reign than the first one he was given so there was they could go with a with a real Noah guy or they could go with a middle gen guy but mm. i really did think that Vegeta was going to um go over shio and they would keep that going because he said that he was cyber fight
2: is that potentially where they could go then with the, with this N1 victory tournament which is um you know fast approaching could you conceivably position Kojima? in the same role as Vegeta as a slight outsider, holding the belt hostage. And you know, the, the tournament is not just to win the, the belt, will win the opportunity to avenge Noah, so on and so forth. Could that be where it goes?
3: I think so. Rachel can talk about Ken, comments that Keno is making because Keno is certainly going to frame it that way, which is um, fascinating in that Congo has historically been an outsider faction within mm. Noah itself. Um, so that's certainly how it can be framed and how it probably will be framed, especially because with Mudo last year at CyberFight Fest, he was considered an outside champion within NOAA, even though he signed, but he's still an outside champion within NOAA, and it was Marafuji as... Noah's heir to the Ark um, who had to step up and take the belt back for Noah. Mm. So Noah loves to play with that trope. It's just historically a trope that they really like. They've done it with like Nagata. They've done it with a bunch of people. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely storytelling that they will continuously lean on. It's just really funny to think of Kojima in that role because you cannot find a man who is sweeter who has no. put over this company more. <laughs> like Kojima has, like spoken at length about like not wanting to to come across as New Japan looking down on Noah, how much he values Noah, and like how he was trying to show like the strength of Shiyazaki mm-hmm. throughout this program because he really does um, want to put over Noah as well as Shiyazaki, which is very appreciated. So it's just funny to think of Koji in this role when like, that's just not who he is as a person. <laughs> uh,
0: you can't think He just looks yeah. like the nicest man that's ever lived. He really does. Like, so face. There,
1: are, there are a lot of booking issues that we have covered and I could not agree with them more, but I am very excited for this match. I'm very excited for this build. Um, because of Kojima's character and how he is agreeing with everything Keno is saying. Uh, he is, Kenno's like, well, you're an old man. You're washed up. He's like, true. So, well, you're a stepping stone for the younger generation. Yeah,
2: he, do you but think he's secretly British? He just doesn't want to cause an issue. that's <laughs>
0: Exactly <laughs> how I argue with you. You're right. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, no, I agree. You're right? You right. Me. We do not do any I
2: research. S- you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: like it's so like like new New Japan only ever treats you as a stepping stone. He's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh, what what a guy? <laughs> but um, but no, oh, it's interesting. So um,
1: yeah, Keno's really um setting things up here that he is talking about outsiders at large. Um, coming in and treating the promotion as um, almost like people, uh, Christelle, um, for when she did her fantastic commentary for Cyber Fight Festival on English commentary translated this beautifully. Um, basically people gifted from the heavens. So um, they're acting like they are above Noah
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: from New Japan specifically and coming down to earth and taking over. Mm. Sort of like a backhanded compliment Mm -hmm. where he's he's saying like oh you know you guys are you know legends you're you're blessed you're heavenly creatures but you can't do that you're not you're not actually allowed to do that Mm -hmm. um so he's trying to push them back and it doesn't matter how nice kojima is he is still one of that he is still an Mm -hmm. invader and um so Kenos really speaking to a lot of the booking issues at large right now. He's speaking to Fujita, he's speaking to Mudo, and he's straight up t- called them all out. He has straight up said that, that, you know, these guys are problems and this is, this is a problem. And there's almost a, I wouldn't say shoot level. I don't, you know, know the guy, but um, there's almost that level where he's sort of winking and nodding at the camera, like you know, acknowledging these mm. issues. So it'll be really interesting if they have him lose and confirm everything that he is saying, it's going to be a real optics problem. Mm. And honestly, I think, I think Kenno is doing a great job um, building this story and, and potentially exposing these issues because then it comes down to who is going to take back this promotion if mm. Keno is not going to do it.
3: Didn't Keno say that this was a Noah's
1: Ito period recently? Is that what he said? Uh, yeah. 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 He yeah. said it was this uh, Edo period. Edo um, period. Edo? Edo? Um, but yeah, he, he said it was the Edo period of, um, which is very, very interesting. Um, so you have uh, a time of um, blossoming art. And um, and then you think about like, you know, these heavenly creatures. He's very much painting a picture here. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting um what's going on. And of course, Kojima's sort of uh, taken aback by all of this, and which is hilarious. It's very funny. Um, his reaction where he's like, You can't talk to me like that. I'm almost 52. <laughs> he was just like, No, you gotta be nicer oh, to me. He's just and, a little guy. And the, the yeah, <laughs> just a little boy.
2: You don't get it. Um, I just tweet about bread. That's it, doing?
1: Um, and the way the crowd reacted to that was very funny. They were like, "Oh, honey, you got another storm coming with this one," <laughs> which I do want to say that um, just the pop when Kenno's music played. Um, the way that the crowd just couldn't hold it in. They were very excited.
0: It really makes me very happy when the yeah, the Japanese audience just can't contain themselves. And so they vocalize.
1: And they were very hot. And yeah. I know we've sort of almost gotten away from the actual wrestling, but uh, they were very hot for yeah. Shiyazaki versus uh, Kojima, like they were probably mm. the most energized all night. And they were a pretty, pretty lively crowd, but that crowd really was, it was great. It was a great You think match. on a
0: five-hour show as well to still be so energized. Yeah, for sure. You've done a good job there.
2: It was a good match. Very good.
0: We, we've we gone quite a while. I think stray thoughts here. Yeah, I thought overall the card did a really good job of like building to it Zenith here with the action and production. Loved the GHC heavyweight title match. Two, two big old men slapping meat. Hard to beat that kind of thing. Any other standout moments from the, the show that we haven't talked about, gang?
3: Uh, I will say just from like quickly back to Shio and Kojima, Shio did an Emerald Flosion in that match, mm. which was outstanding.
0: I did yeah, catch Very that. cool.
2: And I think it goes without saying now that whoever defends the GHC Heavyweight title next year, do not do a moonsault it causes all the problems
1: <laughs> they are cursed <laughs> <That is> officially <laughs> no more moonsaults in mm. Saitama Super Arena um Illegal. I did want to give a shout out to um Yuka versus Shoko yes. I thought that match was fantastic yeah. um yeah I thought I thought all of the TJPW matches um did a really good job showing off that promotion 100%. um really really like the six man especially I yeah. would like to see um more of Juria and Miu uh, Mm -hmm. tagging in the future. Kick girls. Love that. That was so good.
2: On that Yuka match, I just adored that up kick she did, you know, when she was kind of almost like a full splits. I've never seen that before. That was amazing.
0: I just love to see the continuing sort of slow rivalry between uh, Makito and uh, Yuki Rai as well.
2: I had
1: written that down as well.
0: I think that's going to be one for the the kind of ages in TJPW. Much, mm. much in the same way, you know, like obviously Ito and sort of Mizuki has been and Ito and Yamashita has been just like, I think they're going to be joined at the hip, whether they like it or not, sort of moving forward into the future of TJPW.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
0: And yeah, love to see Rika getting the next shot at the, at the title as well. Man, I'm dead excited to uh, for the next big TJPW show as well. Like that's already shaping up to be a great show. Willow Nightingale coming over. Real pumped that's for really that. That's really exciting. Yeah. yeah, but you know the the one match that we haven't kind of given any time to that I did really really love was the eight-man DDT tag match so CDK disaster box versus the sauna Kamina and uh, Asuka which yeah I think they they smashed it some of my some of my absolute favorite wrestlers in the game right now in that match and just having a you know really showing what they can do in mm. sub 15 minutes mm.
3: I loved that too and like you I forget which if it was Gareth or Liam that spoke to this before but to me, this match was like a great showcase of just what you can get when you go watch DDT. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. that was, it's like that window shopping aspect of yeah. the show. And it really came across in that match and that you can get that if you watch DDT regularly. And it's just such a great showcasing of all of them. I love when Ueno cuts people off from the top rope oh and God. the way they did That's with Hirashima. So,
0: so cool. Talk about timing. like, And, but this, what this really made me want is I'm, Absolutely desperate for a Chris Brooks Asker singles match. Oh,
2: yeah. Totally. Yep. Couldn't agree more. My word. There's so much left on the on the cutting room floor here. Um,
0: <laughs> we literally could have done uh, a five oh, hour. Sure. We could have matched.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I have like <laughs> nine pages of notes here.
2: <laughs> oh, no. We'll do, do an overflow episode for sure. Oh, um, goodness. But, but yeah, look, if we do this again, we will book in a, lot, a longer period of time because it's been really no, wonderful okay. just to hear your thoughts firsthand as well and actually oh, it's, it's been really enjoyable so <laughs> thank you so much for your con- uh, contributions really appreciate yeah.
0: it it's been a real retreat classic end of podcast time plugs where can people find you both what are your like twitter handles what's the pods twitter handle all that good stuff tell us
3: you can find us both at kickout299 and you can find me alicia at shiranui kai
1: with two eyes on twitter and you can find me at milky star that's m-i-i-k-y star yeah check us out
0: perfect so i'm gonna pop all that in the show notes you've also got a website because you're not just a podcast you we do also have written, a blog. The written word as well so i'm gonna include all that in the show notes um for everybody listening so you can find all the good stuff that Kickout 299 have to offer and
2: there's plenty so do get involved anyway guys thanks so much really do appreciate it thank you
3: thank you for having us we are so touched that you asked thank you so much
1: bye bye thank you bye.
0: If you didn't immediately fall in love with the Kick Out 299 gang, then I don't know what to tell you. There's something very wrong with you, probably. Hope you enjoyed that chat as much as we did. really felt like coming out of that chat that we'd made two excellent new friends. So hope you enjoyed getting to hear friendship blossom in real time there, folks. We should be back this Friday, depending on how Liam's health bears up. I know he's uh, really suffering at the moment. Send him your well wishes on Twitter. I'm sure he'd really appreciate that. And you should definitely still do it, even if you're listening many months after recording of uh, middle of June 2022. uh, And just really freak Liam out and tell him to get better with no context. (laughs) So until you hear from us next, which should be Friday the 24th of June. Don't forget to follow us on the socials. So we are on Twitter and Instagram at... Wrestling pod that's wrestling without the e you can also email us if you've got anything you want to talk about we love getting correspondence from people and talking wrestling with just about anybody Uh, so shoot us an email wrestlingpod at gmo.com that's wrestling without the e or if you just want to find all of our links you can go to wrestlingpod.com that has our personal twitters the link to all the different places you can find the show all that kind of good stuff just all in one place really handy if you want to share the show with anybody which we would love and also on the subject of showing the podcast some love we would absolutely love it if you could take two minutes out of your busy day to like and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice just so you know that really helps us algorithmically helps people to find us and helps us keep getting great guests so you know what to do if you want to keep the good stuff coming so In the meantime, stay happy, stay safe, and enjoy the grabs.